Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood. It was created in our kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, and it all started with a simple idea. What began as Laird's secret for long-lasting energy on the waves is now Laird Superfood, offering a full range of delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and more. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 and save 20% on your first order. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Today, it's great to have Katie Milkman on the podcast. Dr. Milkman is an award-winning behavioral scientist and the James G. Dinan Professor at the Warden School of the University of Pennsylvania. She hosts Charles Schwab's popular behavioral economics podcast, Choiceology, and is the co-founder and co-director of the Behavior Change for Good initiative. She has worked with or advised dozens of organizations on how to spur positive change, including Google, the U.S. Department of Defense, the American Red Cross, 24-Hour Fitness, Walmart, and Morningstar. Her research is regularly featured in major media outlets, such as the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and NPR. Dr. Milkman, so great to chat with you today. So great to chat with you. Thank you for having me on the show. It's, it's, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. I've been wanting to talk to you for, for quite some time. Um, so we have a, a mutual friend, uh, Angela Duckworth, mutual colleague. And she yes, described, we do. Yeah, we do. And she described you as a master of human nature. Um, <laughs> she says that you figured out how to align your action with your goals and dreams. Do you, uh, do you agree with that? No, <laughs> we both know that Angela is much too kind. And I think she, anyway, there are she some is, areas but in this case, I, she may be right. In this case, I think she may be right. What is that? So what does that, that mean? I think that's unlikely. Well, let me start off by asking you, what would that even mean to, uh, you know, wind one's actions with their goals and dreams? What would, what would that look like? And I do think you do it yeah. by the way. That's very kind of you to yeah. say, uh, I suspect what Angela was talking about is I think she and I both share a tenacity. She might even call it grit <laughs> mm. that drives us. Um, and we, I think, both have defined in the last decade very clearly what it is we hope to achieve with our careers and our lives. Um, and we're we're both pretty focused on getting there. So I would say, um, I, I suspect she wrote that because, you know, we spend a lot of time together working towards those goals. She knows exactly what my purpose is. Yeah. And, um, 
you know, it, when you when you know someone that well and when you see the way that they devote themselves to something, I think that that can make you excited. And, and I think she wrote lovely things. <laughs> so why is change so hard? That's the million dollar question. You, you have an, in, an interesting spin on it, you know, and uh, arguing that you just haven't found the right strategy if you're finding it hard. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, absolutely. So what, when I was trying to figure out sort of what is the overarching theme of all of this work that I've been doing over the last two decades, roughly trying to figure out what creates change and what creates durable change. Uh, the one thing that really jumped out at me is that there are systematic barriers to change they differ depending on what kind of change you're looking to make. So whether it's that you're struggling to get started, whether it's that, you know, there's just a temptation you can't resist over and over again, maybe not to get off the couch when you want to go to the gym or to spend on things when you should be saving, um, to to yell at someone when you should be patient. Um, so there's temptations, there's inertia, sort of bad habits, laziness, I'd put all into that bucket and, and laziness is, you know, too unkind of a term for the efficiency, mm -hmm. um, that we all have when we say, I'm going to take the path of least resistance, but, mm -hmm. um, but that's our, that's our common term for it. Um, so there are all these different things and, and they, they trip us up in different parts of our lives. Um, and I've seen so many times individuals and organizations that are trying to create change make the mistake of thinking there's sort of a one size fits all solution that they can grab off of a prepackaged, you know, off the shelf prepackaged and it's going to work for them without thinking deeply about what is the barrier to change in this situation? Is, is this person not taking their medication regularly because they forget? Or is it because, you know, there's a nasty side effect and even though it's good for them in the long run and that outweighs the discomfort they'll experience, if you are sort of an optimizer, if you give into temptation, you might choose not to take that medication. And, and depending on which of those is the problem, you need a really different solution. So that's kind of the big takeaway I've had is too often people neglect to think carefully, what is the obstacle? Uh, and instead, they reach for the one size fits all. And that's a that's a mistake, we can do much better if we're actually suiting our solutions to the challenge that we're facing. Yeah. And another way you put it is uh, match your approach to your opponent, you know, with the Andre Agassi example that you used. Yes. So who are my opponents? Uh, in, according to you, they're impulsivity, procrastination, forgetfulness, laziness, confidence, and conformity. Now, is that overconfidence? And, and, and getting started. Also oh, getting started. And getting started. <laughs> yes. That's, that's funny that I left that one out. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, by confidence, you mean overconfidence, right? Like is, it's okay. Is it okay to have a little bit of confidence? I actually don't mean overconfidence. I know most behavioral scientists get very excited about overconfidence. And I write about that a little bit. And, um, I know you had Danny Kahneman recently on the podcast, mm -hmm. who's such a wonderful scientist and guest and has, I think, um, on the record proclaimed overconfidence to be the biggest, problem with human nature, the one that he would most like to correct. Um, but despite that, which I acknowledge in, in my book, I actually mean underconfidence as a barrier to change. So 
uh, overconfidence has all sorts of problems and it, it can it can relate to change issues too, right? If you're overconfident that you'll be able to just sort of push through and you don't develop strategies to overcome some of these challenges, that can be a major barrier. But um, but another barrier is you don't believe you can. So you lack the self-efficacy and uh, and that can be really important as well. So that's what I focus a chapter on in the book. Okay. Um, maybe we should, let's get into some others, uh, goodies. <laughs> so conformity is an interesting goodie because, um, you know, as, as a creativity researcher, I often talk about how conformity is the enemy to creativity, you know, um, how can Absolutely. it also be an obstacle standing between you and success? I mean, use the word success, you know, and by the way, I want to know what you even mean by success. <laughs> I really just mean achieving whatever goal you set out to achieve. Okay. Um, that's that's blocked by internal barriers, right? And like really importantly, right? I'm not talking about the things. This book is not about the societal obstacles that can stand in our way. It's about you know imagine imagine a world. Well, you don't have to imagine a world. The world has put up other obstacles too. This book will help with the obstacles that are inside you. I, I can't. I unfortunately don't have the yeah. solutions for all the world's obstacles. Um, but when it comes to uh, conformity, the the barrier there is really that our peers shape our decisions more than we appreciate. Uh, that, you know, your college roommate, whether you're randomly assigned to a roommate who did well on the verbal SATs, turns out to predict your grades. Uh, and so there's the the peer groups you surround yourself with, they help us define um, what's normal. And we think, oh, you know, this, this is how much I should study, or this is how much money I should make, or this is how much I should give to charity, or how hard I should work, or how fit I should be. Um, and so that can be a barrier if, if your peer group is not aligned with your goals. And if they're sending you the message that people like you can't achieve the kinds of things you want to achieve. So that's what I mean, really, when I say conformity can be a barrier to change. Good, good, good. I like this. Um, Okay. Laziness. Let's talk about laziness. <laughs> Let's talk about laziness. Oh man. <laughs> I do feel like that could be a book. <laughs> that's a title to a book. Let's, Let's talk, about, talk laziness. about laziness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a big one for me during COVID uh, is that it's, mm -hmm. it's easy to, it's easy. so easy to be lazy when you're at home all it's day It's easy long. all the time to be lazy, but you're right. It's totally easier, easier now because, easier. Yeah, yeah, and partly because there's not as much social pressure not to be lazy and there's where, where are you meant to be? Um, yeah, absolutely. I think it's a big barrier. You know, I do, I have to say that I have a lot of respect for the, the design of the, the operating system we've got up here that, um, you know, prioritizes taking the path of least resistance and being a bit lazy. You know, it's very efficient and it makes a lot of sense, but it can be a barrier to change when the path of least resistance is not the one that's going to get you, uh, whatever it is you hope to achieve. So, um, what I suggest in the book or talk about in the book is sort of two strategies. One is, I think, you know, has been written about really extensively. It's not all that novel. In fact, my editor at one point was like, does this really have to be in the book? It's so everybody knows it. And I was like, I don't care this. I want everything in this book that's useful. And this is really useful. So the first one is just setting defaults wisely. Right. So it's been talked about a, a lot. It's probably the number one trick in the behavioral scientists handbook for changing behavior. Uh, right. If you default people. So when they join a new employer, they're automatically saving for retirement and they have to do nothing. 
magically about 40% more people save. Um, and you can set defaults for yourself or other people that are wise and lead to better choices, including, you know, stocking your fridge with healthy food. So the default snack is that's something idea. that's good for you. Radical yeah. idea. Radical. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or, you know, if you if you spend too much time on social media like me, you know, make sure that your default websites and so on are um, maybe maybe the New York Times or, or your work email as opposed to Twitter or Facebook. So there's all different ways we can set defaults that are useful and productive. Um, so that's one way we can harness laziness, because then the path of least resistance, the thing that happens if you don't lift a finger is uh, the thing that's sort of in your long term best interest. But then the second answer, which I think is a little bit more useful. And again, a lot has been written on it, but I hopefully have some new things to say uh, is through habit. So being deliberate about forming habits, because in a sense, those are sort of the default settings for for the behaviors that require a little bit of um, effort and volition, um, but but not a lot and sort of the, that are repeated. And so thinking about how can we use what's known from research on animals, from research on people to build habits that are lasting uh, is is a big bonus. I'm happy to get into that, but let me like pause and give you a chance to get a word in edgewise. No, I mean, I would like you to elaborate on that a bit, actually. I mean, I, I mean, this is, this is my, I'm interviewing you here. So <laughs> go, on. go on, go on. You have all sorts of fascinating ideas and I want to make sure that I'm giving Aww. you space to, space to add them. Well, um, okay. Who knows? Maybe I can be on choiceology someday. But I would yeah. love that. That would be but, amazing. But, but, but for our, now, our show is really different. Yeah. <laughs> our show yeah. is really different. Yeah. But, but and no pressure, of course, but I'm saying, but for now you're the star. So um, yeah, go on. <laughs> are you, are you telling me I'm trying to be the host? Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> I'll try, <laughs> I do that I'll too try sometimes. not to do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So hmm. habits. So the, the really basic stuff about habits that's been written about extensively in books like, you know, Atomic Habits and The Power right. of Habit, it's right. And we know, which is like, you know, what's the cue that triggers the behavior that then um, creates a reward and then repeat. And, and if you can build that cycle and do it enough times, and nobody knows the magic number of times, by the way, that's like a, a hot debate. I'm hot working debate. on a paper about yeah. that right now. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a lot of times. Yeah. Uh, then you can start to put something basically on autopilot so that it becomes mm -hmm like second nature you're not really deliberating you're just acting oh like I make the coffee in the morning without even thinking about it. I shampoo my hair without thinking that I can't remember did I shampoo my hair or not because I wasn't even yeah. paying attention right? right so that um that's sort of the basic process for forming habits what I think is a bit more interesting is something I read about called the power of elastic habits and this is based on some research I did um at google with a a couple thousand of their employees who wanted to form exercise habits. And we teamed up um, to try to figure out if we could develop a better methodology for habit formation. Like what, what technique could we use to get people to form stickier habits? And we ran a test and we had two different ideas. And I'm actually going to ask you your intuition on this because I'm really curious. So we had um, two strategies that we were going to use. Strategy one was we just sort of use the old fashioned like reward people for repeating the behavior. So they people make a plan. They tell us the ideal time for uh, them to work out each day at the Google campus gym. And we tell them we're going to send you a reminder at that time. And then we tell them if you work out any time that day, you're going to get paid a few dollars. 
Okay, so that's group one. Group two, same startup. So you tell us the time you prefer to work out. Um, we'll, we're going to send you a reminder right before that time, encourage you to do it. But And you'll also get paid, but you'll only get paid if you start your workout within the two-hour window you define as, as best for you. And both of these programs last for a month. And at the end of the month, they're over. And what we really care about is what happens next. And we actually did it. We randomized the amount of money in both groups that we were rewarding people with so that we could, we wanted to isolate basically two types of people who had gone to the gym at the same frequency, mm. but in different ways. One group had gone basically fairly consistently, really at the same time of day, almost always. And the other group who had more variability in when they went. And the question was, which group would then have the more yeah. durable habit, the so, variable visitors or not? Yeah. I think that, that probably the first one showed the better effect, even though the intuition from people might be that the second one would be correct. Am I correct? Tell or me I, why you think that or is. Is it, the, is it the complete opposite? Well, I don't even remember which one I said first. <laughs> the, the, consist, the, the, same, the same time, every, the consistent one was the first one. You think that, you, you I, think I think that you did better? I think you probably got a better effect there. So that's what we thought. That's what 77% of psychologists we surveyed predicted. <laughs> so at least I'm in the 70, 70. <laughs> you're totally, you're normal. You're totally normal. And and like me, I was, I was like, let's show that this sort of really consistency, this routinization is the key to habit. Um, and, it, you know, there's theories of that, but it hadn't been tested. And we said, like, let's turn it into a, um, you know, let's turn it into an intervention. Because we knew it, it correlates, right? Mm. People who have really consistent, like, pill taking routines they do at the same time of day or exercise tend to exercise more, take their medicines more. So we thought like, can we convert it into a, okay, so we, we were wrong. Both of us were wrong. Um, but here's nice. why it's, I think it's really interesting. We weren't totally wrong. So the people who were rewarded and, and built this habit around going at exactly the same time, once the reward period ends, they do actually go a bit more at that time. So they've formed something of a habit around that sort of sticky, magical time that they told us was best for them. But the thing is, if they don't go at that time, they don't go at all. Mm. So they, uh, whereas the other group, they go a little bit less consistently at that sort of magic time. But if they miss that time, they still get to the gym and a higher rate. And net net, they go more often, right? So one group, I call them sort of like, um, rigid instead of routine, right? It, it's sure. 8 a.m. or bust. And the other group has figured out like, you know, 8 a.m. is my best time. I'll mostly go then. But uh, if I miss 8 a.m., I'll go at 5 p.m. And so that ends up being a more stable and consistent. It, it may not be sort of like the automaticity of habit that actually we typically think of that we've built rather than um, more of a sort of like no matter what routine that I just i I make a priority to figure out a way to fit this into my day and I've learned different ways to do it, but that turns out to be what's more robust. So anyway, that was kind of one of my favorite projects I worked on because it was such a surprising result. And I think it's really an important insight in general about change because I think we tend to underappreciate how hard it will be to sort of stay on that perfect path. And we don't build in enough flexibility for the obstacles that will get thrown at us. And when we do build flexibility in, in various ways, and there's other ways I talk about flexibility and how important that can be in the book, but this is one way, um, that kind of flexibility actually turns out to make us stronger and, and have more robust habits. Nice, nice. I should have gone with my gut because my gut did say number two. Um, when, <laughs> uh, but um, 
I was like, I was, I was, you know, sometimes when you have these illusionists, like these, these magicians, you overthink it. You're like, oh, is it this hand or this <laughs> hand? And you're like, well, well, I didn't even remember what one and two were. When you, I was like, wait, did I give the numbers? <laughs> which was which? I was so into the example. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's super interesting. So how does this over, how does this relate to, um, as you talk about in your book, overcoming flaking out? You know, because it's so easy to flake out, right? I mean, it's just a matter of like a uh, squirrel, <laughs> yeah. And then you, and then you, I, you forget that you had a whole thing lined up to go to the gym. I didn't know you knew me so well. <laughs> We've only talked a couple of times. How do you know so much about, about myself? Me? But um, that means we must have things in common. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's so easy. So this is. Yeah. <laughs> so, the flake out is this really different challenge, but really, I actually, this is another thing that I think we tend to underestimate. Um, people tend to think they won't need reminders, for instance, and undervalue them. And one, one study that I ran with uh, Todd Rogers, we like offered people the opportunity to pay for reminders for something that would be lucrative. And then they, they were like, oh, I got it. I'll remember it. And then, <laughs> and then if they had just paid for the, the small fee for the reminder, they would have made more money because they would have remembered to do the lucrative thing. Um, so reminders are really important and we flake out a lot because we forget, but uh, you can't always time a reminder perfectly. And, and research actually shows that if a reminder doesn't arrive, like right at the minute when you need to do something, it's pretty useless. So I love, there's a study I absolutely love that involved valets giving people their cars back after they they're like leaving a hotel and um, they were reminding people to buckle up and there's a control condition that gets no reminder. And then there's a basic reminder condition where the valet says, hey, don't forget to buckle up when they're dashing off to get your car. So like five minutes roughly before you're actually going to get in the car and be able to put your seatbelt on. And then finally, there's a third valet group that um, or excuse me, a third experimental group where the valet tells you right as they bring the car back to you, like two seconds before you're going to step into it. Remember to buckle up. And um, the reminder that comes two seconds before you can act on it has this huge effect, like 85 percent of people buckle up in that condition. But the other two conditions basically look the same. Only about half of people buckle up because four minutes is enough time for you to completely forget what it was you intended to do. Um, and and so. Mm-hmm that there's like, you know, it's important to know that. And if you can schedule timely reminders, like I live by my calendar, I I suspect you do too. And technology can help. Great. That's the solution to flake out. But often we can't because not everything in life is like a time. Sometimes it's like, oh, when I'm next at this place, I need to remember to do this thing. Or when I next talk to this person, I need to remember to say this thing. And I don't know when that will happen. And for those things, um, or when, I, when I'm when i at the doctor's office, there, there are all sorts of things where if we could figure out how to embed our plans more firmly in memory, we could make more progress. Um, and so I wrote about work by uh, folks we both know, um, Peter Golwitzer being sort of the lead on it at, at NYU, who's done all this research on the power of, um, I call them planning prompts. He calls them implementation intentions, but I just, anyway, it, he's brilliant. Implementation intentions are brilliant. I find planning prompts a little bit easier to remember <laughs> as in terms of terminology. The basic idea Better is that implement. if you make Exactly. Exactly. Easier to implement. Um, If you make a concrete plan that has a trigger cue, so not like I will uh, practice Spanish on Duolingo more because I want to learn Spanish, but rather I will practice Spanish on Duolingo every evening at 6 p.m. when I get home from work. 
Mm. Now you have a trigger and that moment triggers, oh, the, whoa, this is what I'm supposed to be doing now. So it's embedded in memory associated with a cue. Uh, you also have other things going on, right? Like commitment and consistency to this very specific rather than vague plan. Um, there's many benefits of implementation intentions, but or planning prompts, uh, but they also can help with flake out. So that's another thing I focus on. Uh, and I, I could sort of go on more, but, but those are sort of a couple of the key things that I think our tools, behavioral science can offer that help a lot with this. Yeah, many, an impl many an implementation plan has gone. <laughs> so, uh, you know, like we can, we can, we can have like the best implementation plans in the world and, and still get distracted at any moment, absolutely. you know? Um, so oh, safe, safeguarding against that seems to be just as important as having the implement uh, the implementation plan itself. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. And the, the chapter on procrastination, I think in many ways yeah. sort of addresses those issues because it, it talks a lot about um, commitment devices, which is mm -hmm. basically creating teeth when you make a plan or have a, a goal or commitment so that when that moment comes, if you don't follow through, there's some consequence that you have set up. And in order to ensure you won't procrastinate um, if you don't want to. <laughs> so so I do think, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that work together in the book, even though they sometimes attack different challenges. Often those challenges are known to come in pairs or sets. For sure. Did you say something about teeth? Did I hear you right? <laughs> I did say something about teeth. I'll also say I have teeth on the mind because my five-year-old lost his second baby tooth this morning. So <laughs> could be oh, my <laughs> congratulations. I, I remember yeah. when I, I remember when I lost mine. <laughs> Yes, right. It's so it's such a like ever, it's such a salient thing. He lost his first one earlier this week and second one today. Um, they oh. they go in pairs. Speaking of things going in pairs or sets, anyway. Yes, I did say teeth, probably because I was primed to be thinking about teeth. But by teeth, I mean um, some consequence, right? So mm. uh, if you say like, oh, I'm going to try to achieve this goal or I'm going to try to follow through on this plan, and you wanted. And, and that's all. There are no teeth because if you fail to follow through, you know, when the moment comes, you let it pass. You're like, well, I said I'd practice on Duolingo tonight at 6 p.m. But really, I feel like putting on Bridgerton. So if that happens, right, there's no consequence, except maybe, maybe you feel a little guilty. But commitment devices are a tool you can use to create consequences or teeth. So that if you, if you want to make sure you won't gotcha. watch Bridgerton at 6 PM, you can set up some sort of constraints that prevent your future self from slipping and, and making a bad decision. So you could do something like, um, make a cash commitment. Like mm. you could literally put money on the line that will be sent to a charity you hate, uh, and define a referee who will Tell uh, tell your commitment device organization. There's a number of different companies that offer these sorts of devices online. You can have um, a referee then report back and say, you know, uh, Scott watched Bridgerton. He didn't, and and you know, <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna be called out, and so you're gonna lose a hundred bucks, and so that can make it so that the plan has teeth, and you're gonna feel like, okay, I really need to sit down and do my Duolingo practice, or else I'm gonna spend a hundred dollars on supporting a cause that I hate. You know, I never heard that expression before, so I'm glad I double clicked on it. As Angela Duckworth uses, she's come and double click on that. She always says that, but um, um, but uh, yeah. So I'm stealing an Angela quote right now, but uh, or phrase. <laughs> there are a lot but, of good ones. Yeah, there are. Um, so so not having teeth is like not dealing with the consequences. Is that right? That's right. 
Okay. That's exactly right. I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that now. Teeth are consequences. Teeth are consequences. I get it. I get now. Well, I mean, now I get it. I didn't get it five minutes ago, but now I get it. Okay. Um, in your book, uh, another aspect I really found, uh, really, it really resonated with me was this idea of um, the importance of timing, timing, mm. and 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 how a fresh start can be like such a great motivator for two seconds. <laughs> <laughs> right for two seconds which is why it's the first chapter and there's a it's, bunch this of is chapters. so me this is so me i get so excited about something i'm like oh my god and then I'm forever i'm going blah, blah. and then like five minutes later i'm like wait what i forgot about it and you're but, back to flake out see they come in sets <laughs> these challenges come in sets good to know i'm not alone good to know i'm not alone um yeah so uh what are some other um kind of fresh starts and how can we even create our own fresh start even if it doesn't coincide with a new year new job or new relationship yeah, absolutely. Well, so so the research that you're referring to is um, was actually inspired by talked about Google already, but I'm going to talk about Google again. <laughs> I've worked with Google a bit. Um, I went and visited Google. This was before I ran that gym study. I went to a conference. I was sharing some of my research on how you could encourage behavior change. And I got this great question from uh, a leader of their human resources, one of their human resources teams who said, okay, totally sold that we should be providing these kinds of tools that would be helpful and, and allow employees to change. But um, like, when? When should we deploy them? Is there some good time? Are people more open to change at some times than others? And that's what set me off on, on this path where I started studying how timing can be really important and uncovered this connection between moments that feel like new beginnings on the calendar from mm -hmm. the start of a new year or new week or new month, um, celebration of a birthday. Those are the kinds of things that I have primarily studied. But we've also found that you can actually highlight certain dates and um, you can make people more attracted to starting a a fresh set of goals on those dates. Uh, so if you, for instance, label um, the first day of spring on the calendar as the first day of spring instead of the third Thursday in March, and then say, you know, pick a date on this calendar, when would you most like to start pursuing a goal? Uh, it's much more attractive when people recognize it at, for the as the first day of spring. Same with sort of um, pointing out that a month is, is when your birthday will take place say do you want to do it after your birthday is more attractive than say i don't know when your birthday is but let's say it's february like mine and saying do you want to do this uh next february or even i don't even know how many months from now february is because <laughs> 10 months from now roughly it um, all runs together yeah. it does all run, run together yeah. uh <laughs> so so um these moments both naturally attract us as moments when we're more likely to for instance set a goal on a goal setting website, go to the gym at a higher rate. Um, we're more likely to search for the term diet on Google. And there are also moments that if we highlight for people, especially the ones that are subtler, that feel like new beginnings, we can see that there's an attractor effect and people are more willing to, for instance, sign up for a 401k when they're invited to start saving following their upcoming birthday or following the start of spring rather than just labeling that date as however far off it is in the future. So um, there's other fresh starts too. Those are the ones I find most interesting because they're purely psychological. They're just in our head. They're sort of related to this yeah. concept of time we have where totally. like we think of our life in chapters and that totally. new beginning makes us makes us feel like we have a fresh start and a transition um but they're actually they can be more powerful if it's not purely psychological if you also have literally some kind of clean slate because you say start a new job or move to a new house and some of the routines or the cues that were um 
maybe associated with not such great habits or patterns are gone. Like, oh, the Dunkin' Donuts where I picked up my unhealthy breakfast every morning on the way to my office. Well, that's no longer part of my routine because I'm going to a new office. So not only do you then have sort of the, the psychological fresh start, but you actually may have a tabula rasa to work from um, when it comes to things like resisting temptation and building better patterns of behavior. Totally, totally. Um, uh, yeah, it's like it's arbitrary, like like the day after my birthday it has no intrinsic meaning. But actually, this I, this happens to me every time I do my laundry. You have a fresh like, start every time oh, you do your laundry. I, for some You're reason, very fresh start prone. No, I just I just don't do my laundry uh, that often. <laughs> You're like I only do it once a week and once a week. Well, Mondays are one of the strongest fresh starts in every day that we look at, even though they're frequent. So um, it's clear that like it doesn't it doesn't have to be a really low frequency event to give you some sense of renewal and like okay exactly. I've got this let me step back I'm gonna do better this time. Um, that like that was last week. Last week I blew it, but I'm gonna have a good week this week. Well, can, can we even like? What if we had like a Zen mindfulness person here in this conversation? Wouldn't they say like every t every time I return to my breath, I start anew? I mean, this is what they say in my mindfulness classes. You know, totally. so why not even so at the most religions have this? Yeah, the most <laughs> dramatic level. You know, this this because like if I listen to these meditation apps, like you know, like Sam Harris would be like, return to your breath and start again. You know, and as I feel like that, you know, kind of relates to what you're saying. No, absolutely. I think it really does. I And I really do think this that fresh starts are built into so many religious practices. Mm. Um, I sort of started seeing it everywhere when I started studying this um, mm. from, you know, really obvious examples like Easter and Yom Kippur to um, like subtler, maybe examples like um uh, ceremonies where, where you're, you're absolved of sin or where you, um, you know, repent and then you're given forgiveness. Those are also really fresh start ceremonies and, and ways that we give people an opportunity to set, start over and feel like they can shed that baggage and shed the negative identity and um, be more optimistic about what they're going to achieve in the future. I, th I think it's like really fundamentally important to human nature. I have no data to back that up, but it's my sense. <laughs> It certainly does seem true. Um, I resonate with that from personal experience. Um, but in what ways can a fresh start be a setback? Yeah, this is a great question. This is um, so my my brilliant former student, Heng Chen Dai, who's now a professor at UCLA's Anderson School, um, wow. focused on this question. She she and I worked on on the fresh start studies that I described already. And for her dissertation work, she wanted to look at a situation where she suspected um, she might be able to study sort of an under uh, an, an ugly underbelly of the fresh start effect. Um, <laughs> the dark so, side of the, the fresh dark start, side, yeah. the dark side of the fresh start effect. Yes, there are no teeth involved. <laughs> Thank <it's>, goodness. <laughs> that, that whole analogy know. freaked me out. <laughs> Like, I feel like I'm going to have nightmares teeth tonight. The first yeah, about anyway. teeth, yeah, about teeth yeah. and goals, goals yes. with teeth. Yes. Um, so she was interested in, in this question. We talked about it a lot before of whether, uh, you know, most of the things that we were studying originally related to fresh starts were sort of goals that most people keep falling down and, and trying to pick themselves back up and do better on from going to the gym to, uh, um, to starting a diet and so on. But we were thinking like, what if we could look at a population 
that was actually really excelling and mm. see if fresh starts are still good. Do you still want a clean slate when you're sort of really doing well? And good the interesting, point. she studied this in the lab and found that fresh starts, while great for people who are underperforming, are not so great for people who are doing really well because they want to maintain their momentum. And my favorite study she did is actually a study um, in the field of professional baseball players. And what she, she found this really cool natural experiment where she looked at players who get traded to a new team in the middle of a league. Excuse me. She looks at players who got traded to a new um, team in the middle of the season, and she compared two types of trades uh, to have a really beautiful experiment. One was across leagues. So if you get traded across baseball leagues, all of your season-to-date statistics get wiped clean. You don't get to hold on to any of them, and you have to start again. And she compared that to players who are traded within league who are, again, like moving to a new community. They sort of probably have a sense of a fresh start. So there's a, they both are really similar, but they get to hold on to their season-to-date statistics. So they're not having sort of a reset of their performance. And this was a really nice test because it deals with a lot of issues you'd have if you just looked at people getting traded. Like, you know, why were they traded? Were they on a funny trajectory? Will, it, will there be regression to the mean? But these are two people basically otherwise identical records um, and they just have different types of trades that they experience and one gives more of a fresh start than the other and what she found is consistent with what i just described um, that people who were top performers going into this trade and they get traded across leagues um, versus within leagues see a bigger slip in their performance than the people who get traded within leagues and don't have that performance reset they don't have their record wiped clean so that that sort of wipe clean clean slate coming with a trade um, help w- was harmful to people who were doing well. But on the flip side, people who were underperforming, they were having a rough season. They needed they a rough start. I mean, they needed a new start. They needed a exactly, new start. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so I think um, most of our studies had been to date about people who needed a fresh start. And I think most of us do. We were like, most yeah. of us are kind of looking for that in some part of our lives. And so yeah. I, I do think they're probably mostly useful, but that they are something you want to at least – approach with care and caution when it's it's potentially disruptive right like if you're on a roll i don't think you have to worry about every monday because really the the benefit of monday is psychological it's like that opportunity that you feel to begin again so i I think those kinds of fresh starts are probably not so dangerous but if you're on a roll and you move to a new job or you move to a new city and you your social life had been you know doing great and you felt like you had everything in step like those are the kinds of fresh starts that may not be so good um, when you're doing well when they're not purely psychological they come with some other um challenges as as well this is wonderful nuance thank you you must be an an academic studying this topic (laughs) i must be an academic (laughs) how could you tell this is wonderful this is wonderful delicious nuance (laughs) that's what that makes me feel like there should be a game show (laughs) <laughs> like <laughs> talk to somebody for 15 minutes about a, a topic that they claim to know a lot about. And then like, you have to guess who's the academic. <laughs> I, mean, I think it's that such, would not be very it's, challenging. Game it's, show, such, actually. <laughs> it's such an academic thing to say, to be like, you know, we, we didn't realize there was, you know, a control, you know, or we didn't realize there was another condition that when we looked at the condition, we realized that there was more than meets the eye. I mean, like, you know, that's how scholars talk. <laughs> yeah, yes. So we have our own specific, we have our own language and our own it's peculiarities. Good. 
It's good. Most it's, of it's good. I'm, there's some parts of it that are. <laughs> oh yeah, there's it some. Can get yeah. too esoteric. <laughs> yeah, but, but I, I yeah, mean, I in this context, I mean, I mean, as a, as a compliment because it's really important with this topic in particular um, to not prescribe, like you said, one size fits all. Um, I mean, that this is the point that I think you're bringing such important um, uh, nuance and, uh, you know, a, a fresh start to the whole habit literature. <laughs> well, thank <laughs> you. you. Know, That's to, such a nice way of putting it. Yeah, I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, well, it's true. Um, what is temptation bundling? Oh, yeah. I'm glad we're going to my favorite topic. Um, temptation bundling is a solution to the worst problem I faced in graduate school, which means actually my graduate school days were not so bad. But um, <laughs> my problem in graduate school was that at the end of a long day of classes, I was an engineering student and I would be like just beat from sitting there in computer science classes trying to follow what the heck was going on. Uh, and then I had to you know, turn to my problem sets and I'd get back to my apartment. And all I wanted to do was like, you know, binge watch TV or curl up with a novel and just like totally indulge in I you know I love fiction fictional content of all kinds so I wanted to like immerse myself in some other world and have nothing to do with my problem sets um on the other hand I also knew that to stay motivated and keep my stress under control I needed to exercise regularly and I could not drag myself to the gym so I had these two problems I was wasting time at home on, on all this entertainment and I wasn't getting the exercises I needed in to stay sane. <laughs> so um, I actually came up with a solution for myself that I then ended up studying and other people too, because it worked so well for me. So it was me search. Um, my solution was I only let myself and I got, I got really into audio novels. I only let myself listen to um, audio novels while I was exercising. I like listened to all the Harry Potter novels and all the Alex Cross series and all the Twilight books and all the Hunger Games, you know, all of it only at the gym. And I love this stuff. So I would find myself suddenly coming home at the end of a long day. And all I wanted to do was get to the gym to hear what happened next in my latest thriller. And time would fly at the gym because, you know, I was enjoying what I was listening to. I didn't even notice that I was exercising. Uh, I'd come back energized and ready to do my work. And I wasn't going to waste any time at home because I'd gotten my my fix of fiction. Uh, and it was this sort of marvelous cure for this temptation challenge I'd had before. There were two self-control problems I wasn't winning. And then I came up with this hack that helped me solve them both. So I've since studied um, this. I've run a couple of experiments showing that this kind of technique, teaching people about it or giving people temptation bundles with exercise um, substantially increases their likelihood of of going to the gym. Um, Ayelet Fishbach, who's a, a brilliant professor at the University of Chicago, along with her former student, Caitlin Woolley, who's at Cornell, uh, have done some neat work suggesting it can also help kids be more effective when they're doing math problems. If they're able to temptation bundle things that they enjoy, like listening to fun music and working with markers and uh, enjoying snacks they like while they're doing their problem sets, even though their teacher's we're very worried that this would be distracting. It actually leads them to persist longer because they're enjoying it. Uh, so uh, I think this this technique can be used in all sorts of different ways. I tell my students about, you know, like consider only letting yourself pick up your favorite coffee drink that's maybe not super good for you when heading to the library to hit the books or listening to your favorite podcast while doing household chores. Some people only let themselves drink their favorite red wine while cooking a homemade meal for a family. So there's all different ways that we can temptation bundle. But it all began for me uh, as a graduate student <laughs> trying to solve these two willpower problems. I love that. I love that whole concept. That's really uh, going to be helpful for me. So thank thank you. you. It's been yeah. really helpful for me. 
I, yeah, you, I, you really have changed my mind about a lot of things uh, when I when I was reading your book. And, you know, one topic that is definitely a topic of mutual interest in, for both of us is this question, are some people, are they just kind of born with this supernatural uh, self-control capacity? Um, and are some of us not born with that? You know, um, there's some days I, I'm wondering, you know, what what the what i was born with um what what you know but um what you know whatever is going on here <laughs> i'm wondering what what that is all about but um what you kind of dispel that notion a little bit that, that that's the right way to think about it yeah well i first of all i should say that everything i know about individual differences i learned from angela duckworth because it's not my area of expertise really at all i was trained as a engineer but um but what angela tells me and she and i'm sure you know this better than i do is that yeah, of course, there's some, uh, it seems like there's sort of a genetic component to just about everything and probably mm -hmm. self-control is in that category. But uh, but a lot of it is learned and a, and a huge part of it is strategic, that if we um, build good habits, if we use uh, creative hacks like temptation bundling, basically to just take self-control out of the picture, that's when those are the people who looked most self-controlled to us because they're actually not having to exert self-control at all. Um, another interesting thing I, Angela told me that has stuck with me is that even if you're self-controlled in one domain of life, it tends not to be highly correlated with self-control in another mm -hmm. area, which I'm also resonates with me. Like yeah. I'm really quite self-controlled when it comes to my work, which is probably why Angela seems to think I'm a superhuman. That's <laughs> much too <laughs> kind. Um, but like, you know, she hasn't seen necessarily how poorly I can keep my temper with my five-year-old when he's driving me nuts. Right. Like, <laughs> and so there's other, there's other walks or how, how much trouble I have resisting like a really delicious chocolate dessert. So there's yeah. a lot of, there, there's a lot of variation in like, where is it? What part of your life? Um, but in general, the per point of my book is sort of like, you know, down with exerting self-control and other sort of um, forms of like super superpowers. Like, let's not just say like, I'm never going to forget. I'm never I'm, I'm always going to exert self-control. I'm always going to have the confidence I need. Like, let, let's dispel the notion that that's even possible or a good ambition and instead mm -hmm. recognize, OK, these are some things that are hard and that they, they make change hard. And then let's figure out what are the strategies that science says can actually help us not have to face these demons um, and be able to overcome them without so much effort. Yeah. You talk in, in the book about how you can channel the power of social forces to uh, boost self-control capacity and even self-confidence, dare I say, like it's, it maybe it's not such a bad thing to boost self-confidence a little bit. Um, yeah. What, what are these social forces that you speak of? Well, we we touched on this a little bit earlier because we were talking about, um, about the conformity. Oh yeah. Oh, oh no, more yeah. you know related to conformity and the gotcha. power of right the roommate the roommate you get assigned um, and how yeah. how much that matters. So there's those kinds of social forces like who you surround yourself with and whether or not they're role models and supporters who make you believe in yourself and show you ways to be sort of a better version of who you want to be. And I will say that you know one of the best things in my life actually has been getting to hang around with Angela because she's a Aww. great example of the kind Me of person. Too. Yeah, exactly. We have that. Yeah. We have that shared luck. Good luck, right? Yeah. When you have someone who you um, spend a lot of time with, who lifts you up because they believe in you, and because they're a good role model, and they're achieving the kinds of things you want to figure, you know, and you can learn from them and say, like, oh, how did you do that? That was really great. <laughs> and you, um, that 
is really powerful. And that's yeah. what I, I primarily mean by social forces. And then we can be thoughtful about who our peers are, um, try to, especially when we're trying to achieve a goal in, in particular, try to surround ourselves with other people who have a similar ambition and are maybe, maybe a little ahead of us, not, not so far ahead of us that it's demotivating, which is also important, right? Like if you, if you have an outrageously, uh, you know, far ahead of you type, uh, around that can be really demotivating, right? Like if you're starting, you're trying to start, you're an entrepreneur and like you hang out with Jeff Bezos all the time, it might not go that well, but someone who's maybe a little, a little bit ahead of you or a group of people that includes some people who are a little bit ahead of you, that can be really motivating. And you can pick up a lot of insights from being in that company. So that, that's one thing I mean by social forces. So what you're saying is choose people and friends who have teeth. <laughs> Don't hang around British people. <laughs> if you want good dental hygiene, <laughs> hang around other people who have nice teeth. Yes. That's basically and, what you're saying. That's, uh, that's in a nutshell. Yes. Yeah, and then yeah. like, it'll model, yes. they'll be a good model for you. Um, you got it. Can we, uh, for 10 minutes, do some Twitter Q&A? You got, we got a lot of questions on Twitter. But we did, some of them were like, oh my gosh, I don't know the answer at all. Yeah, <laughs> big, I, big meaning of life type question. Totally. Um, and I, we only really have time to get to a couple today, but let's, uh, are you okay doing a couple? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Um, Be kind though. Pick ones that I might have a chance at answering. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Um, okay. Let me do that on the spot then. Um, Like Ms. Mo says, can positive behavioral interventions and support help create conditions for meaningful change or does it make meaningful change more difficult? I might, that's an interesting question because I wonder like how it could make it more difficult. Sorry, I gave you a difficult question. <laughs> you did give me a difficult question. I mean, there's, um, there's this large, uh, I think like belief out there because of a couple of studies that got a lot of attention that intrinsic motivation crowd out is this like really awful monster lurking in the closet behind every intervention that you'd ever try to to help people that you know that somehow if if you've offered a tool or a crutch people will no longer um be motivated once that tool or crutch uh, is removed. In fact, they'll like their motivation will crumple and they'll be worse off than they were before. Mm -hmm. So that, that might be what it means. Um, that that's like one idea just because I, I hear that a lot that people get really worried, for instance, about incentives mm -hmm. when, if you pay people to do something and, and a lot of habit researchers will pay people to do something for say a month and then remove the payment. And, and generally what you find is that there's some persistence in the behavior that people were paid to do repeatedly um, because there's some kind of habit that forms. Normally it's like, you know, maybe 30 percent is pers persists, but it doesn't get wiped away. And there's this fear because of a, a couple of studies done a long time ago that that any kind of reward will extinguish intrinsic motivation. So once it's removed, it'll be a problem. Anyway, I, so I don't agree with that. And it's generally not what my read of the literature suggests happens. Mm. And so I think, I think these kinds of interventions add value rather than having that, a big downside. Cool. I hope so. Um, I hope so too. Yeah. <laughs> otherwise, otherwise I've been spending my career hurting people, we, but I don't yeah, think Yeah. What are we doing? What else are we doing game. here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jim McGee, uh, I thought this was an interesting question. Any findings on willingness or ability to change versus age stage of life? Conventional wisdom is it's harder to change in middle old age, yet we sometimes make major life changes in midlife crises. Crises. 
Yeah, it's really an interesting question. I don't know a lot about how age relates to ability to change. Um, my funniest age comment on change, which is not an answer to this question, but will make you smile, is that we did find uh, birth, right, birthdays are a big moment when people are motivated to change. We've seen in, in multiple dating data sets that um, people are more likely to create goals around birthdays. They're also more likely to go to the gym at birthdays. But we had one birthday that was a notable exception, actually depressed gym attendance. Every other birthday showed mm -hmm you know, a positive association, like after the birthday people, the same person goes more. 21st birthdays, however, for reasons that listeners will surely appreciate immediately. <laughs> they're not associated with fresh starts. They're associated with drinking. <laughs> and so uh -huh. we see gym attendance goes down. It's not, okay, it's yeah. not an aging question. It's just the only data I have on age that's a little bit amusing. Um, it's, it's a really good question. I don't, I don't know if it's true that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'll certainly say that in in research studies I have done around habit formation, for instance, when we look at age and see, is it a moderator? Meaning like, does does the effectiveness vary if we just put in um, age and look, look at it? We don't tend to see anything, but we don't, you know, we don't have 80 year olds in most of our samples. But but in the range of ages that, we, that I've often studied, so say... 18 to maybe 50 or even 60. I did one big project with 24 hour fitness gyms and we had, we had considerably older um, participants in that. I do a lot of things on college campuses. So that skews younger. Um, I haven't seen age mattering for how well an intervention works. That's designed to help with change. Wow. Uh, because I mean, in the personality literature, we know that conscientiousness does show an increase as we age, not decrease, increase. So, uh, so maybe that, maybe you get, you know, you build more habits, but you're more conscientious and those <laughs> things cancel out or something like that. I, I feel like there's a dissertation to be written here, but <laughs> there's something, there's something yeah. to be written here. Um, Daniel Chia Chia asks when, how, and why should we focus our attention and behavior on change rather than acceptance? Now that's a good one. That's a good that question. That's a good one. It's a good one. I will say I'm going to, but I'm going to take a cop out answer. One of the things that I struggled with in this book was, you know, should I, should I say anything prescriptive about whether you should change? And, um, I decided that like, that's just, that's not my lane. Like my research is really about, okay, I'm going to assume you've decided that you want to change something and I'm going to offer you all the tools and knowledge I can to help. Um, but I don't, I don't take a stance on whether, you need to change. Uh, so, but okay, let's see if I can say two slightly more thoughtful things about that. I do say at the end of the book, and I very strongly believe this, you know, if something is really not working, right, you're like, you really want to become, you know, you're re you really tried to build a, I keep going to the gym route. So I'm going to, you, you stick with the gym example. You really wanted to build a gym routine and it's just like not happening for you mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, and you've tried all the tricks, like literally in my book and it's not working. Like you can't, yeah. you've thought you diagnosed the obstacle. It's just, you're not getting there. I think it can be helpful one to like be a little more forgive, forgive yourself. Self compassion. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Be compassionate to yourself. And then ask yourself like, what's the higher order goal that I'm going for here? And is there some other way to get there? Like the gym may not be the thing. Is it that I'm trying to be healthier? Is it that I want to be fit? What is it? And like, is there some other 
path to that goal that I could take. And maybe I should like take a different route because this route isn't working. So that this may just not be an end that's going to happen for me. So if, if the gym is just never going to work for you, is it like, well, maybe there's another, maybe like you should join a club soccer team <laughs> and that would get you to your goal. Or um, maybe it's, it, you don't care as much about physical fitness as you do about health and you could take up meditation or improve your sleep habits or your diet. And there's some other way again to achieve it that might be more feasible to fit within your life. So I do think, you know, if, if you've tried everything and whatever it is you set out as your goal isn't there, like rethinking, do you have the right go- goal? What's the, what's the superordinate goal? And can you get there some other way is really important. I really like that. Thank you for like taking the time to actually think that through and, and offer a good, a good one. Um, uh, because, uh, I'm really interested in humanistic psychology and like Carl Rogers talked a lot about acceptance as, um, well, his phrase, his quote is the curious paradox is that once I've accepted myself, then I can change. That's his quote. (laughs) That's his quote. That is a curious paradox. And actually, I should use that quote. It's such a wonderful quote for the book, right? Because the book basically says once you accept that there are these obstacles and figure out, you know, like and have the self-awareness to figure out which one is blocking you, that is what allows you to change. So there has to be that degree of self-awareness and acceptance as opposed to just believing I'm a superhuman and I can like pummel through any problem. Exactly. Exactly. I, I'll send you the exact quote. I, I think I got it hundred percent right, but I'll double check. Um, it's I one of my it. favorite, it's one of my favorite quotes. Um, Ethan, you might see it on Twitter uh, attributed to you as the, oh. <laughs> the source you taught me. <laughs> I'd be honored if you quoted Carl Rogers and attributed it to me or tr- attributed the source to you, not the quote. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Here's the quote and here's the person who gave me this great quote. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. Last question. I want to be respectful of your time, but I think it's kind of a funny question. Uh, Ethan says entirely selfish question. What behavioral changes makes one a better academic? Oh, wow. How do you apply it within that domain? Well, okay, actually, I'm like, oh, this one's easy. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was hard, and now I'm like, oh, no, it's not. It's not hard. Okay, and we haven't talked about this. It's one of my favorite topics in the book, and it's so well-suited to academia. So um, Lauren Estris Winkler, who is one of Angela Duckworth's doctoral students. Yeah, (laughs) another mutual friend, had this brilliant insight. And I got to work with her a little bit on research on this topic that um, we we so often when someone is struggling to achieve a goal, we sort of put our arm around them and give them some advice. And that that can be really demotivating and demoralizing. And that a better way to help people might actually be to ask them for advice. Because people generally are actually, she discovered and and conducting many interviews, even if they're struggling to achieve a goal, they're often quite sophisticated about some things that might help. And it's a matter of having the self-confidence and the motivation to actually take action on those insights or even dredge them up if they, so if you're asked to help someone else, you, um, you're going to feel more confident. Okay. Like someone believes in me, I must be able to do this. You're going to come up with insights that maybe you wouldn't have been motivated to, to dredge up if you'd just been thinking about yourself. Um, and once you sort of say them to someone else and you're in this position of a role model, you're going to feel like a hypocrite if you don't actually take action on them yourself. So, um, I think this is a really powerful insight. And I actually think it, 
can help academics tremendously. We're already in the business of teaching, um, but I actually think the thing that has improved me the most and made my career both most fulfilling and frankly uh, advanced it in terms of the sort of objective stuff like publications and and accomplishment um, has been mentoring great students. When you mentor other people and you teach them the tools of the trade, you actually learn yourself more than you appreciate and it builds up your confidence um, and helps you recognize some of the consistent and most important sort of rules and patterns and achieving and and doing good science. Uh, And so I think mentoring is probably like the best thing and mentoring, you know, with with your whole heart in it is probably the best thing that you can do as an academic if you want to make make more of yourself in that domain. Yeah. With genuine intentions. Yeah. Yes. Um, well, um, that's great. Great. I, uh, great advice. Great advice. Thank you for being good sport and answering the Twitter questions. You never know what you're going to get with the Twitter questions. <laughs> there were a lot that I saved you from. Um, okay, thanks for that. <laughs> um, but um, Katie, thank you so much for being on the podcast today and for being such a um, bright light in, in our entire field. So thank you so oh, much. Thank you so much. And um, likewise to you, thank you for making this amazing podcast and thank you for having me on it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Psychology Podcast. If you'd like to react in some way to something you heard, I encourage you to join in the discussion at thepsychologypodcast.com. That's thepsychologypodcast.com. Also, if you'd prefer a completely ad-free experience and would like early access to new episodes, you can join us at patreon.com slash psychpodcast. Thanks for being such a great supporter of the show. And tune in next time for more on the mind, brain, behavior, and creativity. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual.